From McKinsey & Company's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown. Welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, we'll hear from Deanna Mulligan, the President and CEO of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, a role she's held for the past eight years. Guardian Life is a Fortune 220 company based in New York and one of the largest mutual life insurance companies in the United States. Before joining Guardian Life, Deanna founded her own consultancy and held senior positions at AXA Financial and New York Life. At some point, back in the day, she even managed to find time to become a partner at McKinsey. Deanna recently joined senior partner Martin Hurt in New York at the launch of Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick, a book he co-authored with Sven Smith and Chris Bradley. Deanna reflected on how, along with her team, she's applying the strategic levers in the book to develop strategy for a company that's starting with a strong endowment, but working in an industry facing headwinds. Here's Deanna Mulligan. Thank you very much. I'm honored that you invited me to come speak about our experiences with strategy here tonight. I think many of you probably know Guardian, of which I'm the CEO, but those of you who don't, um, we're a Fortune 220 company. We're based here in New York, and uh, we are a mutual company, so we're owned by our policyholders. And therefore, you know, we don't have some of the restrictions, some might say, that stock companies have. However, we do have policyholders, a board of directors, rating agencies, so we have some of the same pressures in terms of people wanting quarter to quarter to understand how we're doing. So I found this book very applicable to a situation that we're going through right now, and we are going through a strategy process. So I had a, obviously an advanced copy of this book and I gave it to one of my staff members and the first thing he said was, wow, there's some really funny cartoons in here. I didn't know McKinsey could be funny. I was very taken. He actually photocopied a couple of cartoons, handed them around in a meeting and so you did succeed with the, with the cartoons. Um, so I, I wanted to make a comment on the few pieces of the book that struck me particularly. And the first thing was, I was going through it and I was like, wow, this is really heavily data-driven and quantitative. Most strategy books aren't. And being an insurance company, we have a lot of people who are data nerds. I mean, we, we are just nerds. So I was like, finally, this is something I can give my team that they're actually going to believe in, right? Because the data, it's pretty obvious that the data is trackable. Um, so I, you know, as I was thinking about what might be most impactful tonight, I thought I would just reflect on a few of the experiences that we're going through now uh, that are relevant in the book. So I was thinking this through as I was reading the book, and you know, the endowment. I think I came into the job I'm in with a, a pretty good endowment for the type of company that we are, but unfortunately, being in the insurance industry our trend is not terrific, right? We're, we're not in a fast-growing industry. It's, it's, if anything, the opposite, right? So what I'm really left with as a CEO and my team are the moves, right? So I started thinking through each of the moves, what we've been doing, what we've been told by others, right? How we think about it, and then how this book is sort of game-changing on a few of these. Uh, first of all, the M&A and divestments program, we have been on an M&A program for about five years, and we've made a lot of small acquisitions. And sometimes it's hard to tell, you know, one, two, three years in what the impact is going to be. But I think we probably would have been a little bit bolder 
in some of the acquisitions had we had the data in this book. In terms of resource allocation, I think this is where the social side really comes in. And, and those of you who have worked in big companies or observed your big company clients know that. It's really hard to take resources away from powerful business unit heads, even if you're the CEO, right? Because it does, there is a social component of saying to somebody, sorry, you're either not getting enough return on that money we've allocated to you, or your business isn't as important as we thought it was when we allocated this to you. So I think this is one where when you're talking to your clients, or if you are a client, really thinking through how to deal with the people part of that is going to be important. And, and one of the conversations that we're having as a team, we've introduced this notion of corporate assets. And we're treating people as corporate assets. And I have actually clawed back kind of the career decisions about certain people and said that that person's a corporate asset, right? Because they're either so talented or they're in a position that generates so much economic value for us, we have to think of them as a, a corporate asset. And I was having this conversation with one of my directors and they said, well, you know what's next. Now you have to start clawing back certain pieces of people's budgets and make that a corporate asset as well, which, you know, which is actually what you say in the book and it, it kind of follows along. So, we're kind of on the, on the beginning of that journey, but I have to say, sometimes when I go home from those meetings, I'm exhausted, and I think my team is too, because those are very difficult conversations to have if you haven't had them in the past. And absent data to the contrary, some teams will just choose not to have those conversations, right? So I think that's a really important one. Capital expenditure is interesting, and again, I think this is where a lot of companies go for the peanut butter, right? Because it's easier, again, and less risky to place lots of small bets. And to really go to the extent that you're talking about here in terms of changing um, your capital expenditure budget or making it a lot bigger. And obviously, there are trade-offs to that, right? And the trade-offs is earnings now, earnings this year versus investment for the future. And again, this is a conversation that we've all been having because we know we need to make a lot of technology expenditures because we're in an industry that hasn't quite yet been fully disrupted, but you can see all the beginnings of the disruption coming. And we have been making capital expenditures, but you know, at least if we follow the advice in your book, they're gonna have to be much bigger. And what that means is a conversation with the board and, and shareholders potentially that says, okay, we're gonna be earning less, we're gonna be dropping less to the bottom line because we're gonna be making these big capital expenditure bets. Okay, when you have the data and you read it, it makes sense. When you actually have to do it, it's difficult. And you know, my team and I have already been having this discussion and we had a small one with our board just yesterday actually and said, Okay, here's a waterfall chart. Of course, like a good former McKinsey person, we have to have a waterfall chart. And it says, here's where we were last year. Here's all the ups and downs of our earnings. Here's what we, where we think we're gonna be next year. And then we set off to the side, and here's what we're gonna invest for the future, right? And that's another subtractor from the waterfall chart. So I think it's really important to show, okay, our business would really generate this in earnings, but in order to invest in the future, this is the piece that we're gonna set aside for capital expenditure, but it's a, 
it's a tough thing to do. Um, productivity improvement is also really interesting, and I love the statistic of 25% more than your competitors because we're already ahead of our competitors, we think, in, in productivity. And you know we've worked really hard to get there, but the 25% number, I now have to go back and check, well, are we really 25% ahead? And if we're not, I'm gonna have some disappointed people on my team because we already have a lot on our plate. Same with differentiation improvement, which I kind of read almost as pricing power in some ways. And pricing power today, you either have it or you don't, right? So in order to improve where you are in pricing power, that's really, you know, you have to implement a whole strategy just to get, you know, to the right on pricing power if you don't have it today. So that's almost, to me, a strategy embedded within the strategy. You know, as I read the book, I, I think a lot of CEOs think, okay, M&A is an easy one, and either you're the type of CEO that likes to go for the big dramatic move or you're not, right? Um, so I, the social side really comes out in terms of the strategy room, and definitely with the team it's important, but I think where the social side really comes out is the board and shareholders and the trust you have with your shareholders, with the board, with your rating agencies, and sometimes it takes a long time to build that up. It's hard to kind of burst onto the scene with a new strategy and say, okay, we're gonna do things totally differently. Even if you have the data to back it up, it's easier to do if you have you know, been delivering on what you've said you're gonna deliver on over a long period of time. But I think there's a potential here to really change the way companies do business and companies think about strategy but I think maybe you could write a second book on the, the communication and the, and the social side. I mean, it, it comes across in the Harvard Business Review article and in the first chapter, but it's, uh, it's going to be quite an uphill climb for some CEOs. But I think the good news is that actually so many companies can make it out of that mushy middle to the, to the top. That's a really encouraging number. And I know there's statistics in the book about the numbers who fall to the bottom. So I think somewhere in the book it talks about the number of companies in the middle who made big strategic acquisitions, almost nobody fell to the bottom, right? And almost everybody moved up. So there is some hope in the book in, in terms of most companies don't do this, but the ones that do, even if they don't do it perfectly, if they do it big enough, their odds of moving up are greatly improved. And to me, that was totally counterintuitive. And I'm thinking that maybe part of the reason for that is technology and the way we're really turning into kind of a winner-take-all in terms of the way technology companies grow, right? So they could be influencing a lot of that, because a lot of them are, are winner-take-all, big-move sort of strategies. So I think I would sum up by saying I have read a lot of strategy books, having been at McKinsey for almost 10 years. I mean, how can you not? I'm in a lot of airports. There are a lot of strategy books in airports with little tents on them. I find that I rarely make it past the first chapter or two. And, you know, I do think this book, well, for a data geek in the, in the insurance industry, is, uh, is really kind of groundbreaking. And I, I think for the industry I'm in where we, we all try to make small 
we've all tried to make small kind of eke it out improvements because we have such a long tail on most of our businesses. It's hard to pull a big lever. You don't see the consequences for a long time, so it makes it even more difficult to judge whether you're doing the right thing. Uh, to be in a business like ours where we actually just sell risk management and for you to come out and say, okay, take more risks, take bigger risks, pull more levers is highly counterintuitive. Um, but I do, I do believe the data, the good news for our industry is we have a lot of data geeks and so we can, we can convince them with data. So I'm very excited about this book. When I got my bootleg copy, I read it, I said to my chief of staff, can you go find like eight more bootleg copies? Like call McKinsey and see if we can get more because I think this is going to be a great discussion starter with my team. So thank you. Thank you for joining us inside the Strategy Room. You can find an edited transcript of this podcast on McKinsey.com, along with the latest insights from the strategy and corporate finance practice. Please be sure to connect with us there and on LinkedIn and Twitter.